0: Hi, and welcome to ComChurch Talks. This is our sermon of the day. We pray that it will be a real blessing to you. I know you'll be encouraged, challenged and uplifted by the talk that you're about to hear. So we're in a funny time, aren't we? We're in a strange uh, time in our history. Um, There's there's, um, a lot of uh, kind of confusion out there. Andy alluded to a little bit with, with politicians, and we're, we're, there's, there's so much stuff going on today, it's kind of half-truths, non-truths, we're not quite sure what to believe, which goes out through different spheres, whether it's um, the news media, whether it's people's social media, we just don't know, do we? We don't know what to believe, what reports to, that are true. Um, in the 21st century, we know, well, for a lot of people, truth is relative, they make up their truth and then they, they have their own truth and then they tear people down who don't follow their truth. And there's kind of real anger out there, hatred between uh, political standpoints, between different social groups. We deceive or people deceive one another for their own interests. They slander one another to try and get ahead. They try to be better than somebody else. And we see this all the time. And, and we're constantly told as, as, as a nation and as a world that either you're useless or you're amazing. You're worthless or you're worth everything. You can do whatever you want, whatever pleases you, but just do as you're told. I mean, what confusing messages are they? But that's what we see through advertising. If they want to sell you something, you're great. If they want to tell you off, no, don't do that. You're not good enough. You know, this this whole kind of arena of confusion. And right in the middle of all that, there's the church. Jesus followers, led by the Holy Spirit, called out into this world to be light to the world. There's no, there's no mistake, This is not by, it just ha- hasn't happened by chance, that we've got compassion and commission right at the, right at the front here. That's to remind us that that's what we're called out to do. We're sent out to have great compassion, to follow the great commission, to make disciples, to heal the sick, love our enemies, speak truth, and cast out darkness. So we're going to look at Luke 10 this morning. So if you've got a Bible or or something that's got a a Bible on it, um, we're going to look at Luke 10. And to give us a bit of a background of what Luke 10 is saying, So as you turn to Luke 10, we're going to have a look at some of the background. Now Jesus appoints a group of people that he's going to send out. It's around 70, 72 people he's going to send out. And um, he's just been explaining the cost of following him. Some have said, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you, whatever it takes. And others are trying to complain and make excuses why they can't follow. I've got to do this, I've got to do that. And Jesus talks about a cost to follow him. And we know, obviously, some of that we find out later in the Gospels is that there's a life of, of self-denial and laying down a cross. And then he says to them, I'm going to send you out, send this group out. I think this, you know, you know Jesus has been really encouraging. I'm going to send you out like lambs amongst wolves. Now lambs, um, you know, wolves like lambs, not as buddies, but as dinner. You know, wolves devour lambs. So I'm going to send you out. This is going to be a cost, lads. Off you go. And so they go out. Um, now, the, the text doesn't really tell us what, um, what, what they do. Um, we get a, kind of an idea of what they do when they get back, but it doesn't tell us really a timescale of how long they've gone either. But we know that when they get back, they are excited. They are very, very excited. And so when he sent them, he, he possibly sent them to, uh, as uh, the di- disciples in Matthew 10, he sent them to... Um, the, the Jews or the people of Israel, which we know in the new covenant that changes because we are the people of the new covenant. And so he sends out these guys to, the, to what he calls the lost sheep of Israel. And as they go, they, do, they must do some amazing stuff because they are super excited when they get back. So this is, this is the text. This is uh, so Luke 10, if you're in Luke 10. So we're looking at 17 to 20. And I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation. Uh, you may have a different translation. So if you want to read that, that'd be great. Follow it along. Okay, Luke ten seventeen 17 uh, to 20 says, When the 17 missionaries who turned to Jesus, they were ecstatic with joy. So I told you they were super excited. Ecstatic with joy, telling him, Lord, even the demons obeyed us when we commanded them in your name. Jesus replied, While you were ministering, I watched Satan topple until he fell suddenly from heaven like lightning to the ground. Now you understand that I have imparted to you all my authority to trample over uh, Satan, over his kingdom. You will trample upon every demon before you and overcome every power Satan possesses. Absolutely nothing will harm you as you walk out in this authority. However... Your real source of joy isn't merely that these spirits submit to your authority, but that, in your, um, but that your names are written in the journals of heaven. And that you belong to God's kingdom. This is the true source of your authority. Now some versions render it, you might, you might read it if you've got the NIV or something like that. It renders it, it says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. But I like the way the Passion has rendered this. It's really, it helps us understand what Jesus is talking about. While you were ministering, he says, I watched Satan topple until he fell suddenly like that from heaven. This language and statement, I really like the way it's written, is one of defeat. Satan fell, he toppled. His authority and power came tumbling down as these missionaries went out. And they record their ecstatic announcement, even the demons submit to us in your name. Now this is something that they would have seen Jesus do. They would have seen him heal the sick. They would have seen him preach the gospel. They would have seen him do all these things. And now they are witnessing the same things for themselves. Now this statement that we read about Satan toppling is ushering in the reign of God through the people of God. This is proclaimed by his followers um, and disciples, and all accounts, you know, by all accounts at that point, they were Jewish. They sent out, which is, of course, as I said, changed the new covenant. They would have gone out. But now we, in the new covenant, have the same to go out. This victory that Jesus is bringing was already in motion because Jesus was on the earth. He was here, and he'd already defeated Satan at the temptation. And he was showing his followers what it meant by sending them out. And then verse 19, he says that now you understand. Now you understand that I have imparted you all authority. So I assume that he's told them before and they've maybe not understood it or believed it. But now you understand, when I sent you out, I have sending you out in my authority, all my authority to trample over his kingdom. You will trample upon every demon before you and overcome every power Satan possesses. Now we, like the missionaries there, are God's representatives here on earth. We are his ambassadors and we need to consider that as we go through it forward in the text here. We do what we do to be obedient to Jesus. Not out of our own interest, not for our own gain, not out of our own self, whatever. But it is his authority that's given to us. So we do it for his glory. Amen? What we've been given, we do for his glory. So we trample over Satan's kingdom, all right? We trample on his kingdom. What is Satan's kingdom? Has he got one? Is it this earth? Is it the powers of the air? Okay, but let me tell you something. Before we go on, this is a really important thing. He's a fake king with a counterfeit kingdom. He's a fake king with a counterfeit kingdom. He is not God and he is no God. Right? He's, any power he has is limited. He is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at the same time. He's not all-knowing. He is not God. And here he is limited. And we know, we understand from books like Isaiah, if you've looked at things like this, and you've looked at Isaiah 14 particularly, um, it is accredited to, to, to Satan there that this is he's talking about. Although it mentions the king of Babylon, it is clear that it's, it's talking about one called the morning star who has fallen from heaven. Now, Satan was known as the morning star, the light bearer. And you can see from this terminology here, light bearer, morning star, as as Pastor Sarah spoke a few weeks ago about uh, about him, he doesn't come as a big red horned beast. He doesn't come like that. He comes as an angel of light. He comes as an angel of light. So he is proud, arrogant, wanting to be like God. He wanted to place his throne above the mountains of the gods, thinking he wanted to be God most high. And that's the pride in him. So this pride of of Satan wants to be that. If you think about that, so he wants to destroy what God has made. So he's trying to create the world almost like in his own likeness, in his own image. And so what's he like? What do we see? Well, he's full of arrogance, selfishness and pride. St. Augustine said this about, um, Saint. he said, Pride is the commencement of all sin because it is this which overthrew the devil and whom arose the origins of sin. So in, if in some way, if he's trying to create everything in his image, what does that look like? Well, we know that he's full of pride, arrogance, deceit, selfishness, but also sickness, disease, the opposite to what God created in Ephesians so this will give us a bigger idea Ephesians 4:17 to 19 and this is from also from the passion he says so with the wisdom given to me from the Lord I say you should not live like the unbelievers around you who walk in their empty delusions their corrupted logic has been clouded because their hearts are far from God. Their blinded understanding and deep-seated moral darkness keeps them from the true knowledge of God. My goodness. Keeps them from the true knowledge of God. Because of spiritual apathy, they surrender their lives to lewdness, impurity, and sexual obsession. So what is Satan trying to show the world how it's supposed to be? Well, empty delusions, corrupt logic, blinded understanding. Deep-seated moral darkness, everything goes, doesn't matter what you do. Spiritual apathy, people think they're spiritual. Well, the devil's spiritual, what does that mean? Lewdness, impurity, sexual obsession, greed, and all those kind of things. The things of this world. I mean, we see in John eight forty-four that um, Jesus challenging the, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were religious teachers who held the law, if you don't know, just to let you know who they are. Um, so the Pharisees, they were there saying, Well, Abraham is our father, like God, God's our father. And Jesus kind of has a go at them and says, Well, no, no, actually, no, your father is the devil. Because you don't believe what I say. You can't hear what I'm saying. Not that they're deaf, they're deaf, because they could hear quite easily, but they had no understanding. Just like we read in that text, they were deluded, corrupt, blinded in their understanding. They had no understanding. They didn't know and didn't see. They didn't perceive what Jesus was saying. They didn't perceive the words he was speaking. Jesus spoke proof, uh, proof, truth. I mean, he was proof that God is alive, uh, but he spoke truth. Uh, But they would prefer the lies. And when the devil speaks, Jesus said, he speaks his native language. One of lies, or more literally, as theologian Rodney Whitaker suggests, he, he puts it that he, so Satan, he speaks from himself. The opposite of Jesus, who did not speak on his own accord, but only what the Father commanded him to say. So basically what he's saying is Jesus spoke with God's authority. The devil spoke of his own assumed authority and position, imagination and belief system. Jesus spoke on God's authority. He had God's very word. He was God's very word. And he spoke that. They didn't hear it. And so we know that truth is rejected often in the world. People don't want to hear about God. People don't want to hear about sin. People don't want to hear about repentance. They need to turn their life around. People don't want to hear that. They want to believe what they want to believe. Even sometimes in the church, things can be twisted. So we need to be aware that he is at work. Satan's plan is to bring confusion, because that's who he is. Get people to believe the lie rather than embrace the truth. He wants to bring torment to people. He wants to bring it to their lives through sickness, disease, darkness and pain. Now, not that, not that we as, as, the, as the church um, will not suffer, because, because Jesus promised that. But we should suffer at the hands of the gospel, not at the hands of the enemy, right? But what he offers is counterfeit, not genuine. He offers a shortcut with blends of false religion, humanism, atheism, despair, hopelessness and rejection. St. Augustine also wrote this, I thought this is interesting, that people hate the truth for the sake of whatever they, what they love more than the truth. They love truth when it shines warmly on them and hate it when it rebukes them. Because <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? Sometimes truth is really hard. But the point of it is truth. Jesus brings truth. Now as believers then, we have authority to trample over Satan and his work. What a place to be. What a place to be. He'll want to tell you that you don't. But we need to know that we do. And that we have the authority. We are sent out in Jesus' authority. There's no better authority in the universe. And we are sent out in that authority to do a specific job. Not to claim riches, not to become famous or build our own empire, but to trample over Satan's kingdom. We reverse it because we are here. We reverse that. We do something amazing. We are here to heal with humility and in love. We're here to speak the truth with humility and love. We're here to give to the poor with humility and in love. Why? Because that's who God is. He is truth. He is love and he, through what him, him we have the humility that is expressed through love, which is the opposite of Satan and who he is. We must be Led by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, and He's leading. We need to see, we have given, be given actually eyes to see through the facade that Satan builds. We have been given the authority to tear that down, tear down strongholds with the authority Jesus has given us, but in love, because love covers a multitude of sin. Now, this morning, if you may. I don't know if you feel trapped by things or things that you cannot seem to control. I want to say to you this morning, we've sang it today, there is freedom in this place. There's freedom in Jesus. If you're feeling trapped by things you cannot control, submit your life to Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, give your life to Jesus. He is the one that brings the freedom. He is the one that brings the truth In this world we seek truth, we seek honesty, we seek things of beauty and you're never really going to find it outside of Jesus. Not that everything is going to be perfect, but Jesus is perfect and we find our perfection in him. Paul, uh, when he was in front of King Agrippa uh, in Acts, this is in Acts, uh, Acts 26, he, he's recounting how when he met Jesus. Now, if you don't know the story, Saul uh, was a guy killing Christians. Uh, and then he has a, an experience of Jesus on, on, a, on a road. And he's on a, on a way to a place. And then he has this massive experience of Jesus. And so he's, he's recounting to this king. He's going, look, this is what I'm here for. And he says, he says this in verse 16 to 18. He says, I have appeared to you, Jesus says to Paul, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. He's turning that around from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness. So without Jesus, we are trapped in sin. We are trapped in darkness. It is a fake light. The devil brings a fake light. It's like trying to get vitamin D from a light bulb. You know, we get it from the sun. Put a light bulb in front of your face. And Satan says, this is good light. This is good. This, is, this light will give you all the nutrients you need. And then he'll turn a fan on. And so feel that natural breeze. He's a liar. He's a faker. He's a facade. He's, he'll try and tell you stuff that's fake and make it look good. You're not going to get a lot of vitamin D from a light bulb. Huh? Yeah! <laughs> See, I understand. <laughs> but you're not going to get a lot of vitamin D from a light bulb. It's not going to work. But that's what he tells you. But what God offers you, what Jesus offers you, is, is the sun. A natural breeze. When you look outside, the things God has created of beauty, of nature. And through Christ to this world, through us, he wants to turn things around. We are here to do that. So instead of empty delusions, there's true clarity, discerning the truth from what is fake. Instead of this corrupt logic, there's a renewed mind of and heavenly transformation. Instead of blinded understanding, he brings light and opens our minds to the truth. Instead of a deep seated moral darkness, there's a purity and righteousness that's not our own. Instead of a spiritual apathy, we come alive. There's a rebirth through the spirit of life. And instead of lewdness, impurity, sexual sexual obsession, he brings self-control. Instead of greed, there's selfless generosity towards the poor and each other. And this can be done through Jesus. And empowered by the Holy Spirit, he gives us everything we need in his authority. We see the sick and through the compassion that Jesus gives us, we want to see that sickness undone. We see people tormented and in compassion through Jesus. We want to see them set free through the authority Jesus has given us. We trample on the power of Satan through the authority of Jesus. So we have a kingdom authority to trample on his works. As we go out, we trample over him and his works. So defa- Satan is the defeated foe. He'll want to tell us all that he is something bigger than is not. He'll want to say that actually there is defeat and you will suffer it. Well in the church, there isn't. Because we're on the winning side, Amen. Is that right? Do we believe it? Do we know it? Do we preach it? Yeah. Because that is truth. We are not a defeated foe, but he is. He's fighting a losing battle. And he wants what he's trying to do in the world, God will change. God is drawing people to himself and he's saying, go out and make disciples. Change lives. Be a difference in the life. Give, love, share. Because that turns things around. When we can can speak kindly when a harsh word is spoken to us, it turns things around. When people are aggressive towards us and we show them love. When people cut us up, that's a tough one, that's my... When people cut us up on the road, do we give a kind word or do we honk and maybe swear, say a few things that may be unwholesome? It's a challenge for me. Because that comes with pride. I'm right. Oi, oi, I'm right. That comes from that, and, and that's got to change. Not just for me, not just to say to everybody, look how good I am, because it changes what's happening around us. It's actually telling the, the devil, actually, no, what you're trying to create here is not, it's not happening. What God is, his kingdom come. When we can turn that around, and when we can say things that of kindness, of love, of gentleness, that's the fruit of the Spirit. We have all those things, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. When we bring that, that changes the atmosphere. We're singing about it. Because in 2 Corinthians, we know that Paul says we're not unaware we are not unaware of the devil's schemes. Because it's all over Scripture. Jesus talked about it. Paul talked about it. Luke spoke about it. All these people that wrote talked about it. Because it is, we, we are here, we're turning things around. Now if this is starting to make you feel a bit uncomfortable, that's good. Because the Holy Spirit's moving. He wants to challenge us and change us. Because we're not unaware of what the devil is trying to do. Because he's a liar, a faker. A guy called Vance Havner, it took me a while to say that, a guy called Vance Havner says that the devil is not fighting religion, he's too smart for that. He's producing a counterfeit Christianity, so much like the real one, that good Christians are afraid to speak against it. Wow. Satan infiltrates the church, the same way he tried to trick Jesus, because he's got no power or authority over us. So what he tried to do is a deceiver. You'll try and bring deceit, you'll try and bring a little bit of a lie here and make it sound good. We have the genuine in Jesus. He's a faker, we have the genuine. And the word of God is like, as we said it this morning, we were praying about it, that in Hebrews 4:12 it says that the word is like a double-edged sword. It goes in and cuts. It's like a two-edged sword that has full of energy. It's sharp. It interprets and reveals the true thoughts and secrets and motives of the heart. And if we keep in line with that, if we keep that as our standard, the devil should not be able to get in. He has no power but Satan is a liar, and we know that, and he, has, he uses ideas and principles, even from Scripture, as he did with Jesus. I mean, my goodness, trying, trying to twist Scripture, trying to twist the Word to the living Word, I mean, what kind of fool does that? <laughs> Do you know, when he's the temptation of Jesus, well, Jesus, I know you're the living Word, but let me tell you a little something about the, what the Word says. He's going, no, you can tell me what the Word says, but it's not what the Word means. Let me tell you. And he, he beat him. Can you, can't, you can't, Can you imagine? What numpty. It's a good word, numpty. The devil's a numpty. If you don't take anything else from today, the devil's a numpty. All right? Um, So he tries to remove things. He tries to trick. He tries to bring deceit. He tries to uh, maybe take things from the context they are and just just to bring just a misunderstanding, maybe. Now, a guy called Charles Spurgeon says this, and this is a great, great saying. Um, Discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's the difference, it's knowing the difference between right and almost right. Did you get that? Discernment isn't the difference between right and wrong. Discernment is knowing the difference between right and almost right. Knowing which spirit is speaking. Just close enough, this is what he does, he brings a fake light, Remember? just close enough to the truth that even those who believe may be deceived. And the Bible warns us of that, even the elect will be deceived. It can look right, it can sound right, even convincing. It can come from even good intentions. Here's a great example, and I've seen a few people share this this week. When I came across it, I thought it was brilliant. Now, there's a Turkish proverb, right? There's a Turkish proverb that says this. Now, the forest was shrinking, but the trees kept voting for the axe, for the axe was clever and convinced the trees that because its handle was made of wood, it was one of them. It's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting. Because the handle of the axe is made of wood. The trees go, oh, no, you look familiar, yeah, no, you can start. We know we'll vote for you. All the time he's cutting them down. And they can't figure out why why is the forest shrinking? Why is that? Oh, you look all right. I like you. Yeah, you're made of wood. Yeah, he's coming along. Can I stay? Can I stay here? Can I hang around with you guys? Can you listen to what I'm saying? I'm one of you guys. You know, I'm one of you. You know, we look the same. It sounds. He sounds very convincing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay, stay. Why is the forest shrinking? It's a counterfeit. But his his intention is to do harm, not bring good. But he looks convinced. Looks the same. It's made of wood. Like the trees. But actually, it's there to cut them down. So he looks the same, sound could sound correct. And just because, and this is important, just because someone uses scripture doesn't mean what they are saying is truth. Okay. Test everything. Test what I've been saying today. Be critical of what I've said. Don't come and just go, oh you're a rubbish. Don't be not critical like that. Right? Critical of the text. <laughs> I don't like your shirt. Well, it's what I ironed last night, sorry. I wasn't praying about what colour shirt I was going to wear this morning. <laughs> but be critical of what is said. Because the word right, is truth. It's infallible. We're not. We can make mistakes. Even with good intentions, we can make mistakes. Test it. See what the Spirit is saying. doesn't matter how famous a person is. doesn't matter what platform they stay on. doesn't matter what title they've given themselves. Test what they say. Test what I have said. Whatever preacher stands up, let's test it with the Word of God, the Word of Truth. Then discuss it. This is what they did in the New Testament. Someone brought something and then they would pray together and they would test it and then they would say, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us when making a decision. They were led by the Spirit of God because he is the breath that breathes over the word. So we need to test it. Send it all in email, please. Send it to me. Rob P. But yeah, do, do. We've got to. We've got to. Because actually, we are, we are called also because um, what the devil would like to do actually is isolate us. We're here to sharpen one another, Right? As iron sharpens iron, sometimes there's, there's something that, and, and when, um, and when as, as a leadership, a lot of when we've done, we've brought people coming to some membership and stuff, our, our, our job as a, as a leadership of the church is actually, yeah, we're, we're here maybe not just to encourage you and bless you and, and sharpen you, sometimes it's to bring discipline. And the devil will tell you, oi, who do you think you are? Who do, you, who do they think they are telling you what to do? Well, actually, the position, the reason there's positions of leadership is because God has empowered people to do it. We might not get it right every time, but because it's come from a heart of love, we want to see you do right. We want to see you grow. We want to see you sharpen. We want to see you do the things that God has called you to do because the devil has told you you can't do anything. We're here to do that, and that's not comfortable. As Jesus spoke, some people left him because he said his teaching is too hard. And it's not comfortable, but it's right. And so we need to sharpen one another. Match up what is said here with Scripture. I mean, I think of people like, you know, there's, there's so many religions and cults out there. I mean, I think of like Jesus Smith, for example, getting this, this personal revelation from God about doing this. No, the, all the church is rubbish. Actually, you need to do your own. But when you do it, don't do it like they're doing it. Do it all like this. And I don't know if anybody came up to him and just said, Well, actually, does that match with what the text says? Does that match what, what, with this, what this says? Does that really match with this? And, and it's, but it sound, there's millions of people listening to what is said through, through that religion. And it sounds close enough. And it sounds close enough. I don't want to belittle people because we know we've got to love people. I don't want to belittle those that are caught in that. We, we've got to love them. Preach the t- truth to them. You see them, love them. Don't mock them. Let's, let's love people like that. Because, you know, God is a God of love. Paul often warned about um, people of uh, false prophets, false false prophets, false apostles, deceitful workmen who disguise themselves as apostles of Jesus and servants of righteousness. These were people in the church. And he's talking about them. No, they preached a different gospel to the one that Paul had and was told and commanded to go around the churches and share. And I'm sure some of the things that these people were saying were well-intentioned. For example, we see in Acts 13 to 14 that some, so these are were, these were the Jewish Christians, the Jews who then become Christians, they were trying to convince the non-Jewish believers that they should be observing the law, the Torah, which is what the Jews had, that it was theirs. And so this angered Paul. As the Torah, which comprises, I mean this is amazing, it comprises of 613 laws. And, and they, it was set for a nation. It was set for one nation and one people group. And they were required to keep it. And that was fully met in Jesus, in his death and resurrection. So everyone, not just one nation, everyone, all of us here this morning could receive that. That truth, that that what Jesus has done means we, who are not part of that nation, can now be brought into the promise God has. This eternal promise, we just read it. That joy that our names are written in the journals of heaven or the Lamb's book of life. That wasn't ours. But through Jesus, what he's done is amazing. This is why we worship. This is why we bring praise to him. So it wasn't for anyone else, but some misunderstood what the gospel was about. And so what the law required or prohibited was fully met in Jesus. They didn't, didn't get that necessarily. So we see the response of Paul in, in Galatians. He says it was for freedom, in Galatians 5, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. We're not then to be burdened or brought under a yoke of slavery. Paul continues that with a warning that, that well, if they do that, particularly in the case here, he's talking about circumcision. They wanted to be, uh, observe the law, and in particular, this one case was to be circumcised. Okay? And he, was saying, he said to them that in verse 2, if you do that, Christ will be of no value to you at all. If you let that happen, Christ is of no value to you at all. Because actually what Christ did is to fulfil all of it. If you want to follow some of it, you've got to follow it all. And Paul said, that's a trap. Can't, these people, this, the law wasn't theirs. Because they weren't part of that nation. Don't bring them under it. And so they had to pray this through. What does that mean? So they had to pray it through Together. So Paul was rebuking the Jewish Christians for bringing the Gentile Christians into a yoke of slavery by insisting they follow the Levitical law practices. So it was good intention, but it wasn't what Jesus had brought for them. They had been bewitched, because he says, you foolish Galatians. When me and Rob McKinney used to share the word together. We used to, I used to read out a bit of the text and he'd tell me where it was. And always, we always go, you foolish Galatians. Is it Galatians? <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah, it was. Um, but he said... He called them bewitched. You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? They were called fools by Paul for listening to a different gospel. They should not be brought under this law. It's not theirs to have. And in some languages, through Romans and stuff, accused of smashing up the ground, that causing the Gentiles to trip and stumble. We learn from Romans that the law never belonged to the Gentiles. Therefore, bring them under the law was counterintuitive. Um, because they are under, we are now all under a new covenant system. And he says in Galatians 5, 7 to 8, you were running a good race, who cut in on you? I thought that's interesting language as we're talking about the acts. It sounds right, but cut in on them as they walked. Who cut on you from keeping and obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come for the one who calls you. So just like the act, it sounded convincing. It sounded convincing. Actually, uh, you, you Gentiles, we, we've got this, uh, and we are the people of this nation, and so to come into this promise, you need to do this. You need to follow these laws. You need to do this. And, and they're going, oh, right, okay. And Paul's going, no, you're, you're missing the point. There is, you're, you're, you as the Jews couldn't keep them all. Why give it to them? They're not going to be able to keep it. It's not theirs to have. (laughs) Don't try and and see what I mean. It sounded sounded right, but Paul did it out of concern, particularly for the Gentiles, for the non-Jews. So though Gentiles means non-Jews, they were brought. Who cut in on your walk? He said. It sounded convincing, but we through Christ are no longer to be subject to that yoke of slavery. Because the new covenant, what has been established, has been established in Jesus' blood. We shared it last week when we did communion. There is a new covenant shed in Jesus' blood, poured out for us all, that we can come into that promise. And it's amazing. It's amazing. And that promise they had was, was even before the law was established. If they'd gone, well, Abraham had that promise. But he didn't, because actually what Jesus did was higher, and for us all. And then he'll come along and say, well, okay, you've got this freedom. All right, all right, you've got this freedom. Well, if you're free, do what you like, the devil will tell us. Well, Paul's no fool with that either. He says in Romans 13, he says, because love fulfills all the law. If you love, that fulfills it all. Love your God, love God, love your neighbour. Then he says in Romans 6.13, Do not offer any parts of yourself to sin. So he's quite, you know, he knows what he's saying. Don't offer any part of your body or yourself to sin or as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master. Sin is not our master. We cannot go back to that. We should not go back to that. Sin is no longer your master because, he says, you are not under the law but under grace. We can't let the devil come along and tell us, well, if you've got freedom, do whatever you want. Because that also is not right. We can't do and live how we want. We've got to live as this is our standard. We've got to. And not just because it's right, not just because it's good, and not just because we're told to, but in obedience, there is freedom. And when Jesus says to us, there is freedom, and we are then through this. The devil hates this book. The devil hates this book. And when it tells us to live a life of love, he's telling us not to. Because love does not harm its neighbour. Love will not steal from people. Love will not go against God. Because love does and is that is what brings us under this beautiful thing called grace. We need to be led by the Spirit. We need to do what God requires. And we can't do that on our own. We need the Holy Spirit. This morning, if, I, if what I'm saying to you is a little bit alien, listen, if you're feeling something, listen to what God is saying. That's God speaking to you. He's calling us all this morning. He calls us to be holy as he is holy. And we cannot do this without the spirit's empowerment and heart change. We have authority, the kingdom authority to trample over the Satan's lies, his deceit and his confusion. In the world and in the church. And then finally, the last bit of the text here says, Your real source of joy. All of that, all of that authority to undo what the devil's doing, to expose his deceit and lies, all of that, so as powerful as that is, to go out and heal the sick, as Andy was saying this morning, to go out, heal the sick, raise the dead, preach the gospel, all of that stuff, and as amazing as that stuff happens, and we see all that happen, because if we love, it says when you go, you can do the most amazing miracles without love, it's pointless. So if we love and we go out and do it, we do it because of love, because then God's right in the centre of it. So we seal the sick healed. We see people who are tormented turn around and are set free. And all that stuff, what should excite us the most? He says that your real source of joy isn't merely, so there is joy in that, but it isn't merely that these spirits submit to your authority, but that your names are written in the journals of heaven and that you belong to God's kingdom. That is the true source of your authority, that we are part of God's kingdom and he has brought us into that place. And Because he's brought us into that place, we can go and do what he has called us to do. There is freedom. There is real freedom in this place. We can be free from our old sinful nature. We can be free from the subjection of the things, of the lies, the deceit, the things we see, the confusion in this world. We can be free from that. And if you're here this morning have never received Jesus, Let me tell you, the joy you're going to receive by coming into God's kingdom is way beyond anything you'll ever know. It's not about happiness. It's not about being happy. It's about being joyful. Because in this world, when there's trouble comes, we can be joyful in it because we know whose hands we are in. We know who we are listening to. We know who we are following. We know who we trust. We don't trust the world systems. We don't trust The things that people bring into legislation necessarily, but we trust God and his word and his truth. We trust who he is. We love our enemies. We lose ourselves. We don't pamper ourselves, but we love the world. We love the lost. You want to see them set free. And the most amazing thing is that our names are written in heaven. That is the source of our joy. Not only the source of our joy, he says, this is the true source of your authority, that our names are written there. It is his authority he's given us and it should be for his glory because our names are now written in his books. In heaven, they are there. And I don't know if you carry a rubber big enough to go up there and rub your name out. I know the devil doesn't. He's not going to go out there and rub your name out. As much as he tells you, oh, you you failed again. You failed again. Why bother anymore? Why bother? You failed again. Actually, you know, don't, just, don't, just walk away. Don't walk away from Jesus. Don't walk away from Jesus. Walk to him. Walk to the body of Christ. Walk to the church. Walk to where people love you. Like I say, and we may not always get it right, but walk to them. Walk to one another. If you're struggling this morning, walk to the body of Christ. Walk to Jesus. If if you've not received Jesus and you don't know this joy and you're hearing about this authority that that Jesus talked about and you're hearing about this, you, you go, actually, that sounds really exciting. Come to Jesus. But don't let that be the reason. Let it be the reason because your name then will be written in the journals of heaven. Don't be trapped by the things that he tells you. In some ways, yeah, we're not quite good enough in ourselves. But if Jesus calls you, then you're good enough. And it is God's will that none shall perish. So yeah, we're not good enough in ourselves. But God says, you're good enough for my son to die and raise to life and say, there is a place for you. Got to walk through those doors. If you're here, you are not walk through those doors. You've got to walk through those doors. Go to Jesus. It may sound strange. It may seem weird, but my goodness, the revelation you receive, the opening, the freedom that you receive. The day that I accepted Christ on, on Robin Chris's couch, the day I said yes, my goodness, I had the prayer that I prayed, the prayer that Rob prayed for me, right? I'm sorry, I'm going off a little bit, but this is important. The prayer that he prayed for me, right? we were in his room and I was asking question after question after question after question after question, after question. he said stop and he said stop he says it just sounds like there's a bit of confusion there he said like you're a bit confused can I just pray because I know there's an author of confusion and I just want to pray that he'll be silent and then we'll move on is that alright and I went yeah well pray for me and like that as quickly as Satan toppled and his authority fell to the ground, I had my first bit of clarity in years. And before I could say anything else, he went, what do you want to do? And I went, I didn't have the words. Uh, Yeah, I want to do that Jesus thing. Okay, let's pray then. And we prayed. No flash of light. No lightning bolt, just the breath of the Holy Spirit in a room that blew away the clouds of confusion in my mind. If you want that this morning, we are happy to pray with you. Now, if you've not done this, this is a new experience for you, or that sometimes you sit and go, yeah, I'd like to go up, but what if people? That's what the devil wants. He wants you to sit and not. Get what the body of Christ, what he has offered you. We are going to pray this morning because there is freedom in this house. There's freedom in this place. And if you felt that all this confusion, everything else, I don't know why I'm focusing on confusion, but if there's all that in your heart, in your mind, and it's just, I just can't get past it, we want to pray for you. Whether it's, who's this Jesus? I don't know who he is. I want to know him more. Come up. We want to pray for you. If you're just feeling trapped and caught in stuff, Jesus has commanded us to speak freedom over people, cast out the darkness, heal the sick. If you're sick this morning, we want to pray for you. If you know people who are sick, we want to pray for you. It's his work. It's not ours. It's his work. He's called us to do it, but it's his work through us. So let's stand, because it's easier to move when you stand. It was at a conference and a guy spoke, sometimes, you know, uh, when we pray, we want every head bowed, every eyes closed. And he said, with every eye open, with every head up, and everyone looking around, if you want to respond, then respond. With every head raised, every eye open, and everyone looking around. So this morning, if you want to respond to that call where the Holy Spirit is working in you, he's touched you, don't wait. We're going to start worshipping. Now is the time. Whatever that is. Even while I'm talking, you don't have to wait for me to stop talking. I've got a mic in my hand, I'll talk for hours. Sarah, so Sarah's not here this morning, she'll tell me to shut up, she'll be doing this. (laughs) She knows. But if you want something, come up. I'm going to put the mic down in a second, but you can come up. We're going to have the worship team worship and lead us back into worship. But there's a leadership here. The leadership team here want to see you free. Want to see you know the fullness of Christ. Want to see you know the, 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 the uncorrupt mind of Christ, the undeluded mind of the Spirit, the undeceitful Word of the Spirit spoken in your life. So, as we worship, if you want prayer, come up and we're going to pray for you right now. Thanks for listening to ComChurch Talks. We'd love to hear from you, and you're welcome to any of our Sunday services or midweek cons. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.comchurch.org.uk or find us on Facebook. God bless.